this is the municipal. Have you been paying attention to like city stuff? Don't vote, can't bitch. Sorry to uh, <laughs> to point that finger at you. My answer was that would be yes and no. My tummy hurts, and I'm mad at the government. You're saying council wouldn't approve it, and two, you're robbing them of their their voice. It's it's he's already he's already failed to vote. And welcome to another episode of the Municipals. Finally, 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 he's gone and we can celebrate. My name's Matthew. My name's Philip. And we're celebrate good times. Come on. I've never done that before on the show before. Uh, I thought that worked out really well. What do you guys think? Jenny Warden, my favorite city council candidate from the 2022 Toronto Municipal Election, uh, is here with us today. And uh, things are happening. Hey, guys. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, we are so blessed to be honored by uh, to be honored by your presence. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, I'm, I'm just I'm happy to have you happy to pick your brain. You know, let's start off with uh, where you were and how you found out uh, that John Tory was resigning. And what was your initial reaction? Oh my word. So um, we actually, my partner and I had COVID. So I was at home in my basement um, feeling truly horrendous. Uh, I think we were watching a movie and then my phone blew up with people, you know, texting me about the, uh, the star article, the revelation in the star and, and what on earth was going on. Uh, so that went, you know, no more movie. Uh, we, we, that I settled myself in for as much of an evening as of texting with friends as I could possibly handle and, and following Twitter. And uh, my reaction, gosh, um, I gotta say, I think it's fair to say it was pretty gobsmacked. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, I, I've, I've told Phil, when he entered the room, I didn't know he was going to resign. Phil, I forget. What did you think when you when he entered the room? It you know it started with he was saying the lines, the exact lines of the statements that he gave, like for the Toronto Star article. It was like, you know, he had begun this relationship that was inappropriate, like the exact same jargon. And then it just, and then this the next sentence was, uh, and I'm resigning, and that was crazy. That was uh, what a powerful uniting moment for us all <laughs> yeah and and then you know i gotta say my next thought was i hope i hope that the women involved in this are okay and that they've got good support um because we've all heard you know horror stories about women caught in this kind of scandal and i know people have a lot of opinions about the kind of woman who gets involved with a married politician but there's a lot to think about, and there's often a lot of fallout that people don't don't think about when these things happen. When powerful men uh, take advantage of their positions and get involved with their subordinates. Jenny, I got to ask you, um, what do you what do you say to someone who publicly says they're going to resign, but then doesn't bother to do it until a week later? 
after their uh, budget agenda has been pushed through. What, what do you say to that? Oh, good Lord. I mean, I had a, <laughs> not that Mayor Tory asked me, um, but what I had to say he was, it's, <laughs> thank you. Um, it seems like they're setting the next mayor up for a really hard time or that they are very much assuming that the next mayor will be very much in line with their agenda. And I think that's pretty gross. But you know, Mayor Tory obviously <clears throat> felt that Toronto had elected him with a mandate to see through and that locking in the budget was the surest way to, let's charitably say, fulfill the commitment that he had made to Torontonians. I'm being very charitable. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a... Like, that's a good point. It's very, oh, I, I feel like it's, the thing that I will say is, in my mind, and I'm sure people will argue it differently, um, John Tory won the election. Like, there's no question about that. But I do feel like the, the low voter turnout, you know, what was it? It's either 29% or 32%, something ridiculously 20, small like that. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, he won the election. That's not a mandate, you know, like yeah, that's I not. I agree that that doesn't translate to a strong mandate with that low of voter turnout. Um, his <coughs> line all along has been very different. And his line has been that he won the election and he therefore has a mandate. Um, I guess the, mayor, the former mayor and I are never going to really see eye to eye on that. Well, I'm going to read his... Okay. Um his uh, outgoing letter or whatever you want to call it. Um, the statement the, that was on YouTube, I find it very interesting. If you listen to it, I don't know if you, either of you had had a chance to watch it yet, but I watched it and he said something toward the end where um, he was praising uh, Deputy Mayor Jennifer McKelvey uh, saying that that's why I, I, I picked a strong... Um, interesting choice of words, strong uh, deputy mayor to lead. But he made that choice in November. So he must have known that this was going to happen. That's that's the only thing I can figure. You know, I can't remember who told me. I was telling Phil this. Uh, uh, we were talking earlier this week. I can't remember who told me this. I really, really can't. I wish I did. I wish I did. Um, somebody told me that John Tory wasn't going to finish his, his in, during the election. Well, John Tory's not going to finish this upcoming term anyway. I would very much love to know who told you that as well. I, I <laughs> honestly, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not bullshitting. I, I honestly can't remember because during the election, I mean, I covered it on my other podcast this time in history and I've talked to so many people. I did so many interviews, so many debates. I really can't remember who said that. No. Um, but, yeah, so I wish I did. <laughs> totally fair. I just, I would really like to know too, because I'd really like to know what they're, what they're basing that on. Um, I don't think we'll ever really know. I do think, I mean, it's not only do I think, it, it is a fact that he knew that he had this skeleton in his closet, right? Absolutely. So he had this vulnerability. Even, um, he even said, like, the relationship didn't end until earlier this year. I remember when I first heard his statement and somehow that didn't click with me. Somehow he had said it like earlier this year, but somehow I translated that to be like, like last year. I don't know why, but like, 
it didn't realize that it was like within the last five weeks or so. And uh, that's, that's, he went, he won an election uh, in this relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the letter go, it's dated February 15th, 2023, says uh, it, it's uh, addressed to the city clerk, dear Mr. Elvridge, Elvidge, uh, in accordance with section 205-1 of the City of Toronto Act, I hereby submit my resignation from the office of the mayor of the City of Toronto, effective at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Friday, February 17th, 2023. I will be spending the next two days in meetings with Deputy Mayor Jennifer McKelvey and city staff to continue to ensure an orderly transition. I want to thank the people of Toronto for trusting me as mayor since 2014. I continue to be deeply sorry and apologize unreservedly to the people of Toronto for, and, all those, and to all those hurt by my actions without exception. This has been the job of a lifetime and while I've let many people, including myself, down, in this instance, I have nonetheless, including myself, <laughs> right? I have nonetheless been deeply honored by the opportunity to serve the people of this wonderful city for more than eight years. I hope, and I hope I achieved some good for the city I truly love. I will continue to be a contributing citizen, hopefully in a number of different ways. That is because. I love the people of Toronto and I will never stop believing in Toronto and all the residents who make it up. Yours truly, John Tory. Your thoughts? I kind of wonder if those residents include our unhoused neighbors. I kind of wonder if that I mean, love they don't. extends to people that Mayor Tory has, you know, had forcibly evicted from their homes and had their belongings destroyed because that does not seem like a very loving action to me. I agree. I think that's what's, I think that's what's so disappointing <laughs> about all of the um, sort of the, the post post mayoral kind of coming together. It's very Canadian politics politeness to sort of come together and be like, yeah, John Tory was my friend. It sucks to see him go. See you later, John. And it's like, Joe Cressy, you don't got to give it to John Tory. Come on, please, Joe, please. Like he did a he did a terrible thing, and you know he sort of he let our city down this path of austerity. And I mean, uh, you know, Jenny, you talk a lot about, um, you know, where we where our budget show our priorities. And I mean, this election, they talked about how libraries would have to uh, look at where to cut funds while we talk about an increase to the police budget once again. Like it's, this is just, this is cruel shit is, you know, the easiest way I can put it. It's just, it's, it's the mandate of a cruel man. And uh, I, I'm happy to see him go and yeah, I think his words, I think his words ring hollow. And I do hate this, this Canadian politeness, where we just have to be like, he was a good man. Bye, John Tory. No, we don't, we don't have to give he it was a good man. I'm sure he's <laughs> been very genial to people who like him. I have never had the dubious privilege. But his actions are not the actions of a good man. Not by my metric. And I realize that morality is a subjective thing. 
but a good man does not call for the forcible destruction of people's homes when they have no place to go. A good man does not look at the fact that we have winter every single year and say, no, we don't need to increase the shelter and housing budget when our homeless population is growing. No, we don't need to pay for 24 seven warming centers when it's going to be below zero and people are freezing and losing limbs to the cold. Those are not the actions of a good man. And finally, a good man does not engage in a romantic or sexual relationship with a person who is his subordinate before he absents himself from that position of responsibility. Hell yeah. I think I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, Jenny, last week we, or was it the bonus episode? I can't remember now. They all fucking go together. They, they all bleed together. We, um, <laughs> we, we fantasy picked who was going to run for mayor. And I, I got a few names I want to throw out at you. The first one is obvious and it's the biggest one. Brad Bradford. God help us all. Oh, what, Truth? Jenny? You don't, you don't like the idea of Mayor Brad Bradford? That doesn't sound appealing to you? <laughs> I mean, what can I say about Brad Bradford? He was my inspiration to run for city council. There's a snicker coming from the seat beside me. Um, <laughs> There's a snicker coming from everywhere. <laughs> um that is what I can say about Brad Bradford. What I can say about Brad is that if you want somebody who has voted 95% with Mayor Tory, then he's your guy. If you want somebody who is seems to be very cozy with the conservative power brokers in Ontario, he's your guy. <clears throat> if you want somebody who will jump on a bicycle but vote conservative almost all the time, he's your guy. He's not my guy. Did you see the Patty video? I did see the Patty video. So do you? No, I had COVID, so I thought it was a fever dream, but it turns out it was not. <laughs> do you believe that this is the beginning of him getting himself out there so he can put his name forward to to run for mayor? I think that is a very strong possibility. Well, the he was the, not. Sorry, go ahead. That was not a, a Beaches East York video. So I believe that that looks like he was positioning himself as Toronto's guy. Well, the only good thing that would happen there is that uh, should he win, that means there's going to be a by-election in Beaches East York. Yep, sure does. Should he Listen, win, which we really I, hope doesn't I, happen. <laughs> it's, a, it's what we refer to as a silver lining. Yes, yeah. Um, another very dark cloud. Another name that we threw yeah. out was um, Silver Landing. Jennifer McKelvey. And as it turns out over this past week or whatever it was, she's not going to be running. Uh, she'll just be fulfilling her duties as the deputy mayor. So there's that. Um, another name that came across, I believe you mentioned it, Phil, was uh, MPP Stan Cho. Oh, yeah, but he's also, I don't know if you've seen, but he's also announced that he's not going yeah, to. Yeah, I have a statement. Did we talk about that? I have a statement. No, we didn't talk about it, so that's why we're talking about it now. I'm just going to briefly read this quick statement. It says, uh, it's a statement from Stan Cho. Over the weekend, I received several calls and messages incurring, uh, encouraging me to run for mayor of Toronto. 
I want to thank everyone who reached out. Though I'm humbled by the outpouring of support, I will, be, I will not be putting my name forward. I have committed to representing the people of Willowdale as their voice at Queen's Park and serving the people of Ontario as Associate Minister of Transportation, where I am focused on building a world-class transit system which will serve Ontarians um, for generations to come. My wife Carolyn and I know Toronto is the best place in the world to live, work, and raise a family. I look forward to working with the next mayor to address the city's significant challenges and build the safe, prosperous, livable city I know Toronto can be. Wait, okay, Jenny, before, before you give any thoughts, I have a, a sort of, I don't know if you guys are on the same same vibe here, and if I, I don't know if I'll have to explain myself. Uh, I mean, I'll probably have to explain myself after I say this, but uh, guys, what's going on in Willowdale? What's going on with like the elected representatives in Willowdale? Um, they're bad, they're not good. <laughs> like um i feel like lily chang has um has not been very good this week um i don't know if uh i don't know where we're landing on this is this uh is this bad am i coming too strong too hard on lily chang no <laughs> um so, sorry you I go mean, ahead Willowdale's a very interesting place with a population in transition um and you know, being up in North York, it has a very different sort of set of priorities and perspectives from those of us who are, you know, south of the Blur Viaduct. Um, I know that Lily worked really, Councillor Chang worked really hard to get elected and that she's been very active in her community. Uh, I feel like the learning curve, it might be a bit steeper than she anticipated. So it might, uh, it seems like, oh, my, does, does this mean that I am in fact coming down too hard on Lily Chang? No. No. Councillor Chang? <laughs> no. <laughs> she seems to have cozied herself up with the um, career politicians that currently exist on city council, which I hope we'll, uh, we'll get to them in a little bit. Um, is there any other name, Jenny, that you think uh, um, either has expressed their intent to run for mayor or you think should run for mayor that, that we haven't uh, talked about? I would be over the moon for Chloe Brown to run again. I think that she was saying things that needed to be said. She brought a perspective that was grounded in, you know, good, re solid research facts and good policy. And that she brought a voice uh, that really spoke to the truth of Toronto where it is right now. And I think it's also about time that we got, you know, millennials into those positions. I, I cannot speak highly enough of Chloe's, you know, policy chops, her politics. We know that she owned the debates in the last election. And I would be thrilled to hear her announce officially that she's running. Yeah, you know, I, I, I love her too. I endorsed her. Um, in the election, I supported her publicly. I think she's great. It doesn't hurt that she's from my ward, from Rexdale. Um, and, you know, I, I really hope I talked to her and uh, she's on the fence. So we'll see where she, uh, I don't know if she's made an announcement. I don't think so, not yet. But, uh, you know, the, uh, all the people that are going to run, they have time to uh, think about it. They don't have to put their names out right away. Um, 
and really, to be honest with you, I mean, I, I know you don't like Brad Bradford, but we'll just throw him in just because he's already a counselor. Um, I see this as a three-dog race between Matt Lowe, Chloe Brown, and um, and Brad Bradford. And if you want to throw in a fourth person, Gil Penalosa, I don't really think we can take anyone else seriously. Um, so if, if that's the case, I mean, either Matt Lowe or Chloe Brown, I, I, I would be happy with. What about you, Phil? You know, um, obviously I'm not a political analyst. This Maybe is your this is this is your shot. I know. Unofficially, I will become one. The thing with um specifically about Chloe, um, I know she entered the mayoral race relatively late last time, but she she didn't really get momentum until I want to say like early October. But then, of course, as we all know, her um her actual voter turnout uh, versus her dollars spent was actually an incredible ratio. Like she did an incredible she did an incredible job for the resources she had available to her and i just i feel like if she announces soon and and starts going i think her momentum really can can push her over the edge i feel like chloe has the ability to connect with a lot of people who don't see themselves as politically involved or who maybe don't see themselves as reflected in you know the traditional mayoral candidate and I think that's a real strength. She is excellent at talking to people and she has these, these solid, solid policy background, these solid policy chops. Um, she also and, knows how to communicate those policies, oh, which yeah. is like She's a so great, good. like, yeah, She's direct. which is a great benefit because so many people, like they, they talk in a very circular, you know, kind of way and she really does know how to communicate. She's direct. Yep. Um, Jenny, um, sorry to interrupt. No, Jenny. Um, so Phil brings up a good point about um, her her what she spent versus how many votes she got, and, and I'm curious, what's your position on the notion that you have to spend a lot of money if you want to be elected? I think that you have to spend some money. Um, I think that the reality of campaigning is that you got to get the word out and um, earned media is great, but judicious media buys, you know, spending money on communications is important. Um, from my own experience, you know, I, my campaign got a lot more organized when I started, you know, when I realized I couldn't both be the campaign manager and be the candidate and work a full-time job. That's three boats, but anyway. Um, and, you know, was able to bring on a campaign manager to help me out. Um, there are resources that you need. And so I think you have to have a certain amount in the chest. It's certainly, you know, if, if John Tory has shown us nothing else, it's that when you have a deep purse, your range is a lot broader. Um, and maybe he spent more money per vote than Chloe Brown did, but... Uh, <clears throat> But it also paid off for him in that he still got elected. So, you know, I think there's a sweet spot. And I am not a campaign finance analyst. Um, you can talk to Tara Loire for that. But uh, I, do, I do think that, you know, you have to be smart and you have to have the goods. But a certain amount of money is going to help you get the word out in the way that you need it to, especially 
if you're running against somebody who has deep funds and a lot of resources. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> As, a, as an aside, this is absolutely not a part of the conversation, but I did think of how funny it would be if um, if the city council, like their roles were assigned, not by, you know, the mayor picking who would be best, but by uh, their awards. So, for example, Gary Crawford is the budget chief. Uh, in my mind, it would be funny if the Scarborough Southwest counselor was always the budget chief. And of course, I'm only saying that thinking how hilarious it would be if I had to be the budget chief. That'd be so funny. Uh, that's, uh, I kind of like this fantasy council setup. It's not good. It wouldn't benefit the city, but I like it. Well, you actually bring up a good point uh, that I, I, I wanted to build off. <laughs> Do so, I? No, hold on. So, no, but but going in, going in a slightly di di uh, different direction though. So when the new mayor is elected, doesn't that new mayor have the right to choose his own budget chief and deputy uh, deputy mayor, or does he have to stick with previous choices? Uh, I don't see what would be holding um, holding this new mayor back. Um, I, I think the only thing that would be sort of beholden to is the budget, because that stuff has to sort of be, um, you know, it has to sort of go out to where it has to go, right? And then the new mayor just has to work with that budget for the whole well, year. Well, more to the point. Valid. The budget was approved by council, right? Right. So the true. only way you can change something that's been approved by council is by another motion in council. Good point. Which is why does if that have want to be like um, does that have to be like a veto-proof majority to overrule that, or just a majority? That I'm not sure of. You would have to ask the city clerk. Ah, that's what the city clerk is for. among many other <laughs> functions. That is what the city clerk is for. <laughs> so. Um, Jenny, I don't know if you know, but a couple weeks ago we had Kayla on. Yes, I did know that because and Kayla is great. She was amazing. We had everybody a, should listen to Kayla. We had a very deep conversation about um, the issue of the police, and I'm just wondering if I can pick your brain. Yeah, on that strange topic. heel turn where she where she talked about how much she loved the police. That was <laughs> crazy. No, I gotta I gotta stop. I keep making that joke um, along. As well as a, another joke I've made where I've, I've thought of a separate new podcast. Sorry, I don't know what's going on today. I'm, I'm in a weird mood. I just got to get all the, the funnies out. You know, it's just the energy today. Um, my sarcastic, uh, all cops are good podcast, but I only, only speak sarcastically. Hmm. That's the end. Hmm. <laughs> it's an idea, Philip. A cag. So I'm just wondering. I'll, um, I'll workshop it. It'll, we'll, we'll come back to it. <laughs> I'm just wondering about your your position on uh, on the the topic of defunding the police and and your thoughts on the police budget going up practically every year that Mayor Tory was in office. My thoughts on defunding are the, the police. Or let's do that seriously. Let's do that. Um, we have this this budget item that takes up a ginormous proportion of our city's operating budget every year. And as a consequence of prioritizing that in the name of community safety and I don't know what else, we have deprioritized the cost centers that help us address the root causes of crime and things that make our communities less safe. Um, and that doesn't make any sense to me. 
it makes no sense that we have chosen to deprioritize shelter and housing, mental health and addiction services, community housing, um, libraries, placemaking, community arts, all for the sake of funding a force that at its best can only ever be reactive. So another point that I was uh, bringing up with Kayla was that I thought that the system is broken. And her argument was that the system is not broken. It's actually working exactly how it's supposed to. Um, and, and that's why defunding the police is not only necessary, it's what needs to happen. Um, Those both mean the same thing, you know that? What do you mean? Both I just it's necessary, speak? it needs to happen. You're right, you're right. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, so I'm just, you know what? I've, I've gone back and I've listened to that part of the episode mm -hmm. maybe a few times and I'm just, I'm just blown away by her, her, she's very passionate. I'll say that you, you picked a good, uh, a good, uh, chief of staff. She picked me, but yes. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I got, I got lucky. I, she picked me and, uh, and I'm so, so fortunate and she's not wrong, right? If we look at the history of policing, policing has never been about community safety. It's been about keeping property in the hands of property owners. Those are not the same thing, unless you're somebody whose safety is bound up in their property. We've extended that and we've, we've applied PR to that and we've asked the police to take on other functions, but at their core, they're a, they're a group of people who exist to defend the status quo, defend a conception of order that is based on keeping property owners happy and respond to calls about against civic order in a very reactive way that doesn't keep people safe. <clears throat> and that is not going to keep our communities safer. I know, I know that we have all been on the receiving end of a lot of propaganda for our entire lives, starting with the Paw Patrol, about whom I can say many things and none of them are complimentary, um, except that the dogs <laughs> are cute. Um, going right up to you know every police procedural you've ever watched a lot of the movies you've watched that tell us that the things standing between us and disorder us and the bad guys are the police but if we look at what police actually do a lot of it is not safety it's not keeping us safe even when they're responding to crimes they're responding after the crime has happened to a report, that's not safety. That's just paperwork. And then even just beyond like police, police as how they're supposed to function, even beyond that, um, city council this week, they were talking to um, the chief of police where they had mentioned um, what the TPS response time is for a priority one call which they have said is anywhere between 20 to 30 minutes where their target is six minutes. So even mm -hmm. with this, you know, even, even within like the realms of them supposedly working as intended, they're even failing that. Well, and I don't know if you guys read the Auditor, General, Auditor General's response on 911 calls, but the point that the Auditor General made was that we could in fact increase the response time to priority one calls 
if we divested the police of responsibility for things that don't need police responses. <clears throat> Which, like, so if we had Toronto, like, proved um, proved the efficiency, not the efficiency, the um, the the mental health crisis team. I think they said something mm -hmm. like they diverted seventy six percent, something like that, away from like they didn't need the police to come to those calls. No, and it was so weird because that that announcement was made, I think, just before the budget was announced where they announced the the police increase yeah and it was followed by john tory saying he had no um data to uh to back his his thought of paying more to the police but then he's like talking up the success of this program but not funding it which yes which is a thing that toronto does all the time we make great programs we have fantastic pilot projects and then we don't fund them and they wither and die um, or we're unable to meet our targets because we have not funded the plan because we prioritized other things like the police budget. Um, I'll just give you an example of, of where I think we're backwards. So this summer, I swim in the summer down at Cherry Beach. I go down there most mornings. I meet a buddy. We swim. It's great. It's wonderful. Uh, I was down waiting for my buddy and a, an individual approached me and um, he wanted to know if I could help him. He was very dehydrated. He'd been walking all night. He was looking for his friend's place and he knew that this friend lived somewhere in the Portlands. Um, and, he, you know, as we talked, it came to light that, you know, this man did not have a fixed address and he was super, super dehydrated. He was probably a little bit high and he really needed some place to go and he wanted to go to his buddy's place, but he only had a first name and his buddy had like a squat somewhere in the Portlands. I, I couldn't really help him with that. So my options were to call 911 and have a paramedic come or the police come and take him to a hospital and maybe hydrate him. And then when he, when he was rehydrated, he was gonna be back out on the street or to call 211 and get somebody from street health to come and help him out. But in either case, we had a reactive service. And I know for a fact that this gentleman wound up right back where he started because once he was rehydrated, we still don't have shelter beds and we still don't have housing. And we have housing workers, but they, they have no place to place people. And somebody like this man who is not very organized in his mind, doesn't have a firm place to be, had lost his cell phone, he's not going to be particularly easy to follow up on. And all that's going to happen is that he's going to wind up confused someplace else again and somebody else is going to call the police. Lather, rinse, repeat, because what we haven't spent money on are places for pe people to be to get the help they need on a long-term permanent, stable, secure basis and funding the police so that they can pick up more confused, unhoused individuals and take them to hospitals isn't going to solve that problem. We just have people being driven around in police cars and possibly, possibly assaulted and possibly killed because that's a thing that we know happens on mental health calls. Wow. I don't even know where to go from there. That just kind of blew my mind. Um, one thing. That's I, not I... the only story I have. Oh, please. <laughs> I'll shut up. You keep going. 
Um, I mean, there was the instance this winter when I was biking home from a concert on university and a man came flying out of the Hasty Market um, with hot dogs coming out from under his jacket into traffic on university. A police car stopped him and I stopped to see if I could help, but the police were on it. And yes, they, they got his name and they took him back to St. Mike's Hospital. But once again, what this man needed was food, a warm place to be, a clean change of clothes because his clothes were in a state, and permanent secure housing, which is not something that the good folks at St. Mike's can provide. It's not something that the police officers were going to provide. All they could do was stop and pick him up and take him someplace else and dump him. So, and to their credit, those officers did treat this man with some respect um, after telling him he couldn't be in the middle of the road, but they are not able to help. And so that's giving the system its, its best possible outcome. We still have very, very expensive people driving around in very, very expensive cars picking up the people left behind by our lack of care and taking them to hospitals where they can be very expensively housed for the night and then sent back out onto the street. How does that make you It almost makes you, it almost makes you wonder, uh, like this will sound like uh, very not, hopefully you'll understand where I'm coming when I say this. It almost seems like it doesn't make sense for us to have like housing outreach workers when we don't have that housing to get people to in the same way as um, you know, Doug Ford and the healthcare and him announcing that they've got, you know, they've added so many whatever beds, but not the staff to work those beds. It's, it's in the situation. It's so why do we, what is the purpose of these housing people if we don't have housing? Well, this is what we were told when they raised transit fares, that they were going to hire more special constables on the TTC for safety and also have them patrol with housing workers to help unhoused people on transit find housing. But we know, we know from the encampment clearings that the housing workers, whoever they are, are unable to direct people to housing because there isn't any. There's an over 10 year wait, lift for, wait list for affordable housing. Not to mention we were the told- The shelters are turning people away every night. Not to mention, we were told that the police were going to simply be visible on the TTC and, I guess, try to prevent crime. And here they're waking people that are sleeping, uh, mostly unhoused people um, and, and also people that are that are panhandling. Uh, they're the unhoused- so acting as fair enforcement. Pretty much. Tell me, which is not tell their me job. how a sleeping person is criming. They're it's unconscious. They're, they're, they're not you know, doing if you're, if you're afraid of getting If you're afraid of getting stabbed on the TTC, it's not going to be the person sleeping on the TTC who's going to stab you. No. And I recognize <laughs> that we are seeing an increase in crime in our city, but there are, there are no jurisdictions in which an increase in policing, as far as I know, in which an increase in policing alone has contributed to a decrease in crime. And if you just think about it mathematically, thinking about the subway, let's assume that you have two officers who are patrolling the Bloor-Danforth line between Broadview and Kennedy. 
there are trains that leave every two to five minutes. And how many car subway cars are on a train? So the likelihood of them being at the place that the crime is happening, when the crime is happening, and being able to stop it is infinitesimally small. I'm not a statistician, so I can't actually do the math for you. But it's not big. Yeah. If, if Officer Tweedledum and Officer Tweedledee are at Broadview Station and somebody's mugging me and I'm on the train between Warden and, uh, uh, Warden and Maine, what are they going to do? Raise a great point. Not that I've ever been mugged on this, but if they, it were to happen. Um, but is it not is it not worth our collective, you know, theater of safety for one point seven million dollars a month? Is that not worth it, Jenny? How many warming centers is that, Philip? <laughs> um, that would be at least at least six. Uh, yeah, at least six. Yeah. So I got. I can math. <laughs> Good job. I got two things. Number one, uh, we actually did a um, virtual debate for Ward 19. Um, it was during the election. Um, and one of the candidates, uh, Adam Smith, I don't know if you know who that is. Oh, I know Adam. Yep. He said during the debate that in the city of Toronto, there are 26,000 vacant units. So that we, he, his argument is we don't have... Uh, housing crisis we have a unhoused crisis in terms of most of those units they're probably not um, low-income units they're probably rentals like airbnbs and stuff like that have taken over the city and um, if we can address that problem we can literally fit every unhoused person into one of those units so I, first of all, I'm going to have to get in touch with Adam and find out where he's getting his numbers from. Not that I disbelieve him, but like <clears throat> citation needed. Um, um, and, you know, I think it's, tr we definitely need to look at where our vacant homes are and look at you having those homes used as housing. There's often a mismatch, especially because we live in um, a capitalist society between the housing that's available and the housing that people can access. And I'm not sure Adam would get a real good reception at telling people who own, for example, condos that they had to rent them out at below market rent to what a person on ODSP could afford. Um, he's right that there is definitely a supply and demand mismatch. Um, I will also say that, and this is something where I need to, I have, have to get in touch with the city and find out the exact numbers on this. But as I was canvassing uh, some of our TCH projects, I encountered a lot, a lot of empty units that neighbors told me had been empty for a long time. And that concerns me a great deal because- Did they say why? Me, Did they say why it was empty? Uh, they didn't know. Okay. <laughs> the other people had moved out. They were waiting for, usually it was they were waiting for repairs to happen so that new people mm. could move in. $1.6 billion backlog. And yeah, 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 and, yeah. You know, we look at our TCH backlog and we think, okay, um, I don't know if there's enough units there to, uh, it, I don't think it would eradicate the wait list, but it is certainly deeply upsetting to know that there are people on the wait list for housing, that housing exists. And because we have not addressed the backlog, because we have deprioritized funding our existing affordable housing stock, our community owned housing stock, we are leaving people 
on the wait list or in substandard housing or bouncing in and out of housing um, in order to fund things that we have decided are more important. We meaning council, not you and me, um, such as police wage increases or soccer tournaments. You know, and I always find it interesting when you talk about, um, well, say you even suggest that the police don't get an increase and they sort of get incredulous and it's like, uh, but what about inflation? Where it's like, okay, but nobody else gets that consideration. The police is just like, yeah, the police just get it because they're the police, but everyone else is like, it's not guaranteed. Inflation happens to know, libraries that's... too. <laughs> it certainly does. Inflation happens to drop-in centers and childcare and every other part of society. And yeah, we should all be seeing raises commensurate with inflation. That would be super <coughs> nice. Um, I'm not sure why the police need that funding more than the libraries, Toronto Community Housing, Parks and Rec, for example drop-in centers, warming centers as a much more acute example right now. And I just wanted to um, ask you another question. I'm gonna tie it back to the unhoused situation. Um, I didn't get a chance during the election to read um, your uh, platform. I was very busy, but I'm wondering- So, so was I. Yes. <laughs> I'm wondering <laughs> what your position was on the gardener in terms of whether um, you were in favor of keeping it or spending the uh, repair money on something else? My position on the gardener is that we cannot, cannot countenance spending the untold billions of dollars on a highway that serves only a small number of Torontonians when an, an alternative that would be much cheaper, that would only add on average three minutes to people's commute time was available and, that, and the money is so badly needed in so many other areas. That is bonkers to me. And I know that's going to make me really unpopular with people in the beach who really miss being able to commute downtown quickly. But I can't see why public transit, infrastructure, state of good repair, vision zero, bike lanes, all of those things should be so fundamentally underfunded so that we can have an elevated highway to save a very small percentage of Torontonians three minutes on their commute. It and just it, makes no sense to me. And you know what? I take the gardener a lot because I, I'm, I'm a truck driver. I'm a delivery guy and I deliver downtown actually quite often. Um, it doesn't save me three minutes because I'm stuck in traffic. <laughs> so um. I had a constituent make that point to me recently. They were like, you know, I can't get to my work. It's not served by transit. I need the gardener. And therefore, you shouldn't, you know, support. You should support the rebuilding of the gardener. And I was like, well, what if I supported transit getting to your work instead? Because I take transit and I have to deal with increased wait times and increased crowding and decreased service because we have funneled all of this money to rebuilding the elevated gardener. Um, and with you all know, due respect, constituent, why is your convenience more important than mine? 
boom, maybe. Sorry, that's just it's a true point, but it's it's I. And the reason it's sort of interesting. Sorry, Phil. Oh, sorry. I was just no, thinking, it's just. <laughs> I was just thinking, like me or you, man. Go ahead. Go what ahead. Do it. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, the specifically because, um, you know, this this comes out with, um, you know, campaigning, and you know, you're at the doors, and you have someone there who is in opposition to what you're presenting. Like I, I remembered I, I was at the door with someone who uh, did not like that I was supportive of bike lanes. She was like, you know, I'm retired. Uh, what are you what are you gonna do for me? Sort of thing. God, that's a it's a hard question to answer. <laughs> when no, they make it hard to answer that question. But it's just it's interesting when you when you run on your principles, I wanna say, and then it's like you kind of you go up against someone who's opposed to that. But you, your job, I guess, then is to convince them that you're right. I guess. I don't know. No, I disagree. Um, my job is to understand where they're coming from, explain where I'm coming from, see if we can find a place where we can meet in the middle, but also share what my other priorities are. Because maybe we're not going to agree on the gardener, but maybe they agree that we can't, that we need to take care of the ravines that we have and that we should be funding the ravine strategy with a stormwater charge. Or maybe they agree that it is absolutely bedonkers to fund responses to crime without addressing the root causes of crime. And maybe we can, we can find some way to work together there. And finally, if they're not going to vote for me, if they are so into something that, that I'm fundamentally not into, I have allowed them to make an informed decision about who they're going to vote for. And it's not going to be me. And I need to move on to the next person because that person might share my view. The nature of electoral politics is that we're not going to convince everyone. I should have, I really needed to canvas with someone to really learn how to do that. <laughs> Jenny, I really should have canvassed with you because that, that sounds really good. <laughs> next time, Philip. And the reason I brought no, four up- years. The reason I brought up the gardener is because I had an idea and I've been telling each one of our guests to uh, scrap the gardener and use the money to restore every unhoused person's former life. Um, that way, in doing so, you create a taxpayer and you create a, a contributing member of society and we no longer have an unhoused uh, um, issue in the city of Toronto. And I'm just wondering, um, is, that, is, that, is that viable or am I daydreaming? So, I mean, I think that sounds really lovely and noble. What it turns out to in practical politics, because um, if we learned anything listening to the budget discussions, and I hope you did, because they were very, very thrilling. Um, we learned, first of all- I mean, they the were. They were. Oh my God. Gordon was, Cook's speech at the end. There's, was, I had tears, guys. Oh yeah, fuck. It's be it it better, so really better than soap operas. Um, you know, I, I had to step away for a little bit because we had some stuff going on with family that I had to deal with. Um, but um, so we've learned that, you know, we have the, the capital budget, which is what the Gardner rebuild is part of. That's our state of good repair. That's our bike lanes. That's our capital. That's our other building projects. And then we have the operations budget. And that's how we fund our programming, our parks and rec, our homeless drop-in centers, our shelters, which are of dubious utility, our housing, all of that. So, um, you know, part of what we need to do is think about how it is that we take money and reallocate it to that operating budget. And then we need to look at what are the programs 
programs and what are the things that we need in order to create meaningful opportunity for people to stay housed. And the first thing we know, we know because the evidence exists from other municipalities is that um, geared to income, permanent, stable, appropriate, secure housing is the number one intervention that we can offer to people, right? Once you have a permanent secure home that you don't have to worry about losing, that is yours, that you can close the door and lock, that you can treat as your own, it becomes a lot easier to address any mental health issues. It becomes a lot easier to find a job. It becomes a lot easier to address health issues. That's the first thing. So yeah, Matthew, I think that you know taking that money and building a lot, a lot of housing and putting it into finding appropriate housing for people, that would be one step towards making us the world-class livable city that politicians love to talk about. And would be, you know, meaning it would make a difference in the lives of thousands of our neighbors. I like that. (laughs) The other thing I wanted to ask, and I might've covered this in the election, but for life me, I can't remember. Is it, how difficult is it for unhoused people to get out and vote? Given that in order to vote, don't you need a, a, a residential address? You do need a residential address or a piece of ID with an address on it. So that is a, ch- a barrier to voting. Um, now, I think you'd be better off talking with people who work directly with unhoused residents or with unhoused residents themselves. Talk with talk with Groot, talk with Diana Chan McNally to talk about the barriers to this. Um, for our unhoused neighbors, but that is that is a key a key challenge that unhoused neighbors face is that you need uh, your two pieces of ID, you need something that demonstrates that you're a resident of the city of Toronto. You need to be organized enough to line all that up in time to get on the voters list, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and that is a reason that um, oftentimes uh, unhoused neighbors, people with uh, people with insecure housing don't see their views reflected at the polling station. You know, speaking of the polling station, I I just had a quick story I wanted to tell you. You know, I vote every municipal election um, I have since I turned 18. And so when I went to vote this past election, it was weird um, because I never got a voter's card. And then then when I went, because we had to do early voting, because actually during the election, we were in North Carolina. Uh, So we went to do the early voting and I gave him my ID and he's like, you're not in the system. And I'm like, I don't understand why I'm not in the system. I voted every single time. And then I realized, oh, wait, I've moved wards Mm -hmm. the last time. And he's like, he's like, which Matthew King are you? There's like 12 or 13 or 14. I can't remember the number he said. Uh, in the system, I'm like, wow, I didn't realize there was that many in this ward. Um, It made me think that there was some funny stuff going on, but I don't know how, how, how on the ball I am about that stuff, but uh, it didn't make me feel good. It made me feel like mm, something was going on, but I did you get to vote. Yes. Yes. Okay. So from my experience as somebody who's moved a lot because I'm a renter and I deal with the same sort of housing insecurity as, as many renters in the city do. Um, 
I am very, this, this election, I was on the voters list in the ward because we've actually been at our house since the last municipal election. It's very exciting. It's the longest I've lived in one place since I was a kid. Um, and, um, but most elections, I'm not on the list in my own ward or in my own poll because I've moved. And the thing that I found comforting is that no matter whether I get my voter card or not, no matter whether I'm on the list, I've always been able to vote with my two pieces of ID. Um, I've never had anybody say it's a problem and I've never had a huge weight. I've never had a huge hassle. It's always been, okay, do you have your two pieces of ID? Does one of them show your address? Okay, you're, you're in, no problem. So, you know, I don't, I can't opine on whether there was anything hinky going on. I think we have a fairly, um, I think our elections team is fairly experienced and comprehensive, but things happen, data happens when we move, things get lost. Um, what comforts me is that, you know, for the most part, when people have shown up at the polls with the right ID, I've never seen anybody turned away. That said, I think we need, we all need to do a better job at getting people organized ahead of elections with their ID lined up, with their registrations, so that they know where to vote, how to vote, and what to do on the day of. Bill, do you have any uh, questions? I think I've hogged it for a while. Oh, you know what? I mean, you know, I've, I've been on a very goofy streak today and I, I think it's just because I'm very excited to talk to Jenny. Um, because you, you are my favorite counselor candidate. I mean, that's not a joke. I mean that for real. Uh, so I, I think I am over the top excited. I was going to start with my, uh, my joke question uh, when Matt put out the tweet from uh, the municipal's Twitter about uh, questions for Jenny, where of course I started with, why is she so cool? And, uh, you know, while I'm uh, joking around and, and uh, you know, maybe having a moment of, uh, again, this is not normal for the podcast. I am just being goofy and funny. Um, <laughs> on, and I, I promise I'm not going to do like memes, meme stuff constantly. This is not a turn for me as, you know, the meme lord of the podcast. But I, I posted this video on on my Twitter. It's a it's a deep fake of of Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro talking to each other about um, uh, getting ratatouille and uh, what they'd have. The concept being that um, you know they'd have the, the rat in their hair controlling them doing something. And uh, Jenny, what would you like? a Ratatouille situation to play out for you. Does that question make sense to you at all? Not even a little. <laughs> I tried. And you know what? I, I think that's good enough. I think that's good enough for me. I um, I threw that out there. I'm, I'm, so, I'm okay I just remembered that you need to do a, a, a declaration of conflict of interest in this podcast. Uh-oh. Yeah. I gave you a bite. Why? You oh shit, you did. Um, so like so. So conf conflict of interest, you know. <laughs> despite, I mean, I'm sure conflict of interest probably goes a lot hand in hand with me saying that you're my favorite counselor candidate. <laughs> Anyways, um, but so during during the election, um, I was going to some uh, some biking events, uh, not as a, like a regular cyclist, but as as a candidate who believed that cycling infrastructure was, was good and important, um, you know, for many reasons, climate, health, et cetera. Um, but I had 
it was it was my nephew's bike it was really not well maintained my first bike ride was um that was in scarborough that was it was jenny you were there yeah that was what was that one that was road yes and i super embarrassed myself on that one that was uh terrible um like in the very early on someone helped me pump my bike um pump my wheels was that craig no i don't think craig i I don't think was was craig there craig was there with Uh, it could have been uh, yeah we did some we did some emergency repair on your bike not repair but just maintenance um (laughs) yes um and that was Oh, that was a journey. I am not a cyclist by uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I appreciate your encouragement. And so, somewhere between that first journey and my um, the next planned thing, which was the the lights up on um, lights up Toronto on, uh, down Young Street. Was, yeah, yeah. Um, so between that point, my bike got stolen. You know, it's it's Toronto, pretty classic experience, and uh, I can't I can't remember how it came up. I think I think Jenny just offered Jenny. How did this even happen? So you, um, one of the things about being a bike person who has a shed is that um, <laughs> bikes find their way to me. Um, and in this case, I had a bike that had been given to me by an elderly member of my orchestra who was no longer going to be riding his bike, and he wanted it to find a good home. Um, and the person I'd intended it for had had already found a bike. So um, you tweeted out that your bike had been stolen. And I said, hey, I have a bike that should fit you. Come by. Uh, and we kitted you up with uh, with the bicycle of a, a bass player in my former orchestra. Um, a very nice you bike. You just fine. Yeah. I also, no, and, that's where I met Kayla, actually. Yeah. You, we were putting together signs in my backyard. It's an awesome. God, I love the camaraderie of municipal elections. <laughs> there were some really great people, and I, I met some really lovely people during this election cycle. You're one of them, and uh, but but I did. Re- I was thinking today that we, we needed to do the declaration of conflict of interest before this podcast, and I'm sorry I forgot to remind you. Yes, I appreciate that. And <laughs> while we're here um, remarking on our mistakes, it did occur to me that straight up. I did not do the math properly earlier when we were talking about the um, 1.7 million uh, warming center houses. I did the math of four times six is 16. Uh, That is not the mathematical thing there. It would be four. I cannot do math. So, you know, as as we're coming along. um, (laughs) What an epic fail. Oh, God, it was so atrociously not the correct answer and i so confidently said i can do math so i'm so glad you guys were here with me to experience that moment of just pure ego just wrong well jenny before we let you go we do have a a question by a listener uh robert Mm -hmm. uh uh zakowski i believe is how he pronounces it i hope uh I hope that's how you pronounce it, because if not, I'll hear about it. But anyway, he's a good guy. He really is. Mm-hmm. He's, Robert's and he, great. And he writes... Uh, we're birthday pals. He writes... Oh, but I thought you were birthday pals with JT. Uh, we are... All three of us are birthday pals. And I don't mean John Tory. <laughs> it is oh, actually shit, possible right. for like lots of people to have the same birthday. 
Yeah, I know. I know uh, we're not great on math on this uh, tonight, but <laughs> I assure you that it's quite mathematically possible. Okay, there are 356 days. How many <laughs> people, lot, people divided by? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. We'll figure it out. Um, he says, I, uh, I hope a road safety episode can be done uh, as the mayoral by-election approaches. As for Jenny, it would be great to have her talk about uh, her post-election advocacy. I uh, think it was tenant rights she was involved with. Mm-hmm. Love yeah, to get um, your thoughts on that. Sure. Um, so uh, my post-election advocacy, I'm going to I'm going to be honest. Once the election happened, I kind of slept a lot um, <laughs> and also started a new job. <laughs> and um, um, so, which is to say that uh, I had a lot of plans and I haven't been as active as I would have liked. I wrote a couple of uh, very stern letters about warming centers, which is not a tenants' right advocacy. But uh, I'm gearing up on Saturday. I'm going to be doing an action with Acorn in East York uh, about tenants' rights and rent evictions in particular um, to, to discuss what happens as uh, tenants' rights around when their units are, are scheduled to be demolished, what it is that you can do, how it is that they can make sure that they get the right of first return and the appropriate paperwork um, in particular, what I, you know, what I'm looking at doing in East York, uh, some of my team have been in contact with some of the folks that we worked with, uh, or that we contacted up on Dawes Road, and there's some talk about getting a tenants union or a tenants rights organization started up there, and I'm going to be working on that. Uh, You're talking about 500 Dawes Road? 500 Dawes is the worst uh, building, one of the worst buildings in the city of I'm Toronto. Fam- I'm familiar with the paralegal, uh, Ryan something. I can't remember. Ryan Endo. Yes. yes. And I know he's been doing some great work. So Ryan, I haven't been in touch with you yet because I crashed, but I will be. Um, and uh, we want to do some work around that. And um, I've also, Kayla had turned me on to the idea of um, community land trusts. So we're looking at doing some work there, but all of that is very much in the uh, preliminary planning stages. Um, a lot of more of what I've been doing has been direct support of tenants who are experiencing some challenges with their landlords helping fill out forms, helping fill out paperwork, making phone calls. Um, in terms of advocacy, uh, mostly I've been working with ACORN, who are a fantastic group who really had um, put a lot of pressure on the municipal government to increase funding to municipal licensing and standards to get more building inspectors so that rent safe TO could become more of a going concern and less of a plan. Theme in the city governance is that we have great plans and not so much budget. Um, And in um, also working towards getting an anti-rent eviction, anti-dem eviction bylaw which is something that is within the power of city council that hasn't been done, that would help a lot of tenants with their housing security. So um, Robert, I have not been as active as I would like to be because I kind of crashed. But now that I've got my feet back under me, um, I'll be working with Acorn and I'll be back up on Dawes Road talking to the tenants there. Um, A pipe dream, dream of mine is to... Uh, put together a tenant rights clinic in Beaches East York, particularly in East York, so that tenants have a place to go where they can take their tenant rights questions, um, get help filling out their forms, know what their rights are, know how to address their problems. Because the problems that I see in particular when I like 
hang out in the Ontario Tenant Rights Facebook group, a lot of it is um, both landlords and tenants not really knowing what the laws are as they pertain to tenancy. Um, and that's a place where like direct contact can make a lot of difference. Absolutely. You know, I see that problem all, all over Toronto. Parkdale's another one. Uh, one 130 Jameson, where they tried to evict people last summer uh, uh-huh. using air conditioners. I don't know if you heard about that. Yeah. All right. I forgot about that. We talked about that a couple <laughs> of weeks ago. Um, but in closing, Jenny, I just wanted to give you the floor to say whatever you wanted to um, our, our current counselors. And if you had a message for whomever the next mayor is going to be, this is your time. And then, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let you go after that. And then Phil and I will, will close it out. Oh my goodness. This is when I would have loved to have prepped in advance. Um, so <laughs> message to whoever the future mayor is, uh, we have had over a decade of austerity budgeting and we have seen the effects of that in every facet of life in Toronto. It may not affect you personally. You might have had the good fortune to be insulated from it. But if you walk through the city, you can see that the number of unhoused neighbors reflects our lack of investment in housing. The number, the amount of crime and violence reflects the lack of investment in basic security. The lineups at our food banks reflect food and income insecurity. And I know, I know that we would very much like to receive additional funding from other levels of government. But in the end, the buck stops here and the buck stops with us. And whatever else you plan and whatever else you envision for this city, we have to put the city and its most vulnerable residents first. That is what will make us a great city. That is what will make us a great place to live. That is where our priorities need to be. That is what I would say to the next mayor of Toronto. It is time for the politics of austerity to end, and it is time for the politics of radical kindness. That's amazing. And thank you so much for, for coming on the show and for giving us your insight. You know, when, when I, I, I booked you in advance, and when I booked you, I had no idea what was about to happen. I had no idea. <laughs> no, none of us and, did. <laughs> and it was so fitting because of the Patty video and all that stuff that's going on with Brad Bradford, it is oh so fitting to have you on this, <laughs> this specific episode. Thank you so much for, for giving us your time. Um, Phil and I both appreciate it again. Thank you. And uh, hopefully maybe we'll have you back on if there's a, if there's a by-election in ward 19 soon. <laughs> No, I as much as I need to say it, let's hope there isn't because I am not ready for that Toronto. <laughs> oh shit, right. Yeah. The the implication. <laughs> uh, much as I would love to serve my neighbors <laughs> as their counselor, um, I'm not ready for that Toronto, and I don't think Toronto is ready for that Toronto. Uh, but thank you guys. This has been a great pleasure. I love nerding out about municipal politics. No, we had no idea that this particular week was past week was going to have quite the um the number of events it did we knew the budget was going to happen but um and uh i would love to come back and talk again anytime soon so um but there's so many great people to talk to so thank you so much for doing this thanks for sharing the word about the the wonder that is municipal politics and how vital it is 
to the city that we call home. Absolutely. And thank you again for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. And that was Jenny Warden. Hell yeah. I, Matthew, I'm very sorry. I was just, I really do mean it. I was very excited to talk to her. I was, uh, and I'm sure that came up as very goofy. No, I was literally, there, there were a few things that she said, and I'm like, wow, I've got no response because I'm just so blown away. Um, the, her passion, the way that she speaks about about helping tenants and about helping the unhoused, it's it's so amazing, and I just wish that I was able to speak with her in the in the actual election. Um, it was one of those ones where our, our schedules didn't meet up because um, I believe I, I I had emailed Ka- Kayla. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, and then it just never worked out. But anyway, listen. Um, I want to talk briefly about the warming centers and about the vote. And if you have a message, because I have a message to the counselors that voted not to have them 24 seven and specifically talking about counselors led by for, you don't even have to call him mayor anymore. Now he's John Tory and Michael Thompson. Do we, now, I'm sure I could come up with that list real quick because I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, let's um, do that. Let's oh. do that. <laughs> well, not if I'm scrolling through my uh, my video game Twitter. That won't get me the list. Uh, that was, uh, you know, that's, that's not going to work out. Um, while, you, while, you're, while you're doing that, um, did you happen to see the video that our former guest, uh, Kiri Vedavellu, posted where the bird goes into the gas station and steals a bag of chips and brings it out and destroys the bag and starts eating the chips? Uh, yes, I love that. It's, you know, it, that's where we're at. That's, uh, oh, it's, sorry, sorry, I'm still, I'm half, I'm half looking for this, uh, it's, this it's, vote. It's the perfect metaphor for Toronto, I think. It's sad, but it is true. Oh, it was the week before. Oh, yes. right, 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 yes. right. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, would you like? Would you like, would you like some good news? Yeah, I would. Of course, I would. Do you know who? Do you know who Peter Milchin is? I do not. So, I believe his wife was the one who, who took over for Ward One for like one day or two days or or whatever it was. Oh, the um. The um, Salvation Army. Uh, I, I think she was just. I don't think. I don't think she was like with the Salvation. So I don't back, know why that part was important to my head. Back when we had forty-five wards or forty-four wards or whatever the fuck it was. Oh. Uh, Peter Milchin yeah. used to be the Ward Five counselor before he retired, and he's now following our show. Oh shit! That's yes. cool. Yes. Love that for us. Sorry. Okay, man. There's a lot of. Uh, oh yes, because oh yeah, that was the cancel meeting I went to because I was pissed. Yes. Um, February eighth. Yeah, the holiday talking about taxpayers. Fuck, I hate when he does that. There's a dumb picture of Tory. <laughs> Do you have the voting record? I'm just looking at uh, Matt Elliott's. Uh, Twitter thread. Oh, that was early in the day, I think, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. That was young bike lane was earlier. Yes. Oh, this was about the this was Councillor Thompson's motion to delete the Board of Health recommendation. 
Yes. Uh, which is bullshit. Uh, let me find that. Sorry. I, I knew what we were talking. There we go. I found it. Okay. There we go. All right. So the counselors who voted to delete the Board of Health recommendations to declare a crisis related to shelter spaces and to open more warming centers. Uh, that's Councillor Ainsley. Wow, that's disappointing. Uh, Councillor Bradford, Councillor Burnside, Councillor Carroll. Not surprising. Councillor Cole, Councillor Crawford. Not surprising. Councillor Crisanti. Not surprising. Councillor Holiday. Super not, su- not surprising. Not surprising. Uh, <laughs> Councillor Mantis, Councillor McKelvey, uh, Councillor Nunziata, Councillor Pasternak, Councillor Robinson, Councillor Thompson, and Mayor Tory. 15 to 11. Can you read off the ones that voted for it? Ah, the heroes. Yes. Okay, I have uh, a small story when I went into the the council chamber that day. And so I went in there with my brother. And he doesn't pay attention to municipal politics like uh, like I do. So we're we're sitting in the council chamber and Stephen Holliday gets up to say something. And I lean over to him and I just say, he's a villain. So my brother says to me, he's like, I don't like that. That's reductive. But he needs to understand. Stephen Holiday is a villain. Anyway, sorry. He, he's the, Lex, the names he, of the people who he's, he's Lex Luthor. Fuck yeah. He even looks like him. He could play him. It would be the perfect <laughs> cast. Um so our our good counselors, because yeah, we can this is a good versus bad vote. That's that's I, I can put it like that. Uh counselor Bravo, counselor Chang. Councillor Fletcher, Councillor Malik, Councillor Matlow, Councillor Moyes, Councillor Morley, Councillor Myers, Councillor Perks, Councillor Perusa, Councillor Sachs. All voted no. Good for them. What do you have to say to the people that voted uh, with John Tory? You know, it's it's sort of it it's along the lines of what Jenny was saying. It's this um, it's this cruelty of you know, things that are done with politics aren't seen as as impolite or bad because they're functioning within the rules. And, uh, you know, sort of an aside of, of what we were talking about here, but hopefully it can make the connection, is uh, on Friday, uh, Friday the morning of John Tory's resignation, uh, there's this whole kerfuffle of, some, of a guy who threw some eggs at the mayor's window and you had so many people outraged about that act, an act that hurt nobody, damaged nothing, and was cleaned up within the hour. You have outrage over civil disobedience like that, but not acts of active harm by this council. When they vote against warming centers, they're voting for harm. That's the way I see it. I don't think I could disagree, sorry. I think I agree with you is what I was trying to say. I kind of fucked it up there. Um, I will say this. I invite everybody who voted against the 24-7 warming centers, all the counselors, to come on this show and explain themselves. But, of course, the vast majority of you won't do it. Whatever. We're going to continue. that be neat, though? It would be. We're going <laughs> to continue to try to hold you to account. Basically... It's what Phil said. It's you're condemning them to harm. To the person who threw the eggs, I don't have a problem with that. 
I, I'm actually surprised it was eggs and not a rock. <laughs> I'm not advocating a rock, FYI. I'm just saying, like, the scale of what it could have been versus what it was, come on. Um, it could have been a rock. It could have been, you know, it could have been worse. Eggs. It was just like, it was just civil disobedience in the simplest of terms. And if that's all he got, he should be considered himself lucky. He should be lucky that people don't find out exactly where he lives and leave a stink bomb or cherry bomb on his front door. Now, if somebody does that, we're going to get in trouble or egg his oh. front door every single day. <laughs> in, my, in, in Minecraft, in Minecraft, parody, 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 <laughs> satire, uh, satire, satire. I don't think okay, you have Matthew, to do that. legally in the clear. Well, I don't think you have to do that anymore. He's not the mayor. He's just a regular citizen. <laughs> Now, well, now it's more like a now it's more like a legal chance to to put us in the clear. So you know, we'll we'll just keep that keep that going. So, on future episodes, Phil and I are going to talk as people start registering officially uh, for who's going to be the new mayor. Obviously, you know, people are putting their names out on Twitter now, but nothing's official. Someone could say, I'm running for mayor. I'm officially running. You're not officially running for mayor until you fill out the paperwork and paid your money and you're in the race. That's when you're official. Um, and even if Phil and I think there are only a few serious candidates, we're willing to talk to every candidate about every candidate within reason. And uh, we invite you guys to get in touch with the show to try to schedule it on and you better hurry quick because I'm telling you, Phil and I are really, really busy and slots are filled up. As, as I, we said earlier in the show, I booked Jenny weeks in advance, not knowing this whole John Tory mess was going to happen. So that's to the listeners. Um, thank you to Robert for giving us a question. I hope next week we get more questions we're going to be having... I don't know her last name. It's Jennifer. Yes. We are going to be having a woman named Jennifer. Uh, she's at This Mom Roars on Twitter. She runs the Etobicoke Voice, which is like um, a newsletter, newspaper. I hope I'm calling it the right thing uh, here in Etobicoke. Um, if you have any questions for her, again, I'll put out this tweet later this week. Send them in and we'll get her to answer them. I can't wait to hear what she has to say in her perspective, because um, I don't know exactly where in Etobicoke she lives, but I dare to say there is a very big chance she lives in Ward 2, Phil, with your boy, Stephen Holliday. My boy, Thomas. No, oh, Holliday. Right. Okay. Sorry. I thought, I thought we were talking about my preferred Ward 2 counselor. <laughs> Shit. Uh, if she's in Holliday's Ward, that'll be very fun. And um, on that note, Phil, if you don't have anything left to add, I say we get out of Matthew, here. Matthew, I've got, listen, I've got one last thing to add. Uh, did you, when I was talking to Jenny about that whole uh, getting ratatouille situation, did you follow along what I was saying? I have older kids, man. I have no idea what the fuck ratatouille <laughs> is. I know it's a movie. Oh That's my it. God. Uh, I was so excited to ask you what you would want to be. Uh, ratatouille but it didn't make sense so i'm um, good we've we've made it to the end of our episode you know there's one more thing one more thing 
Um, it's, it has nothing to do with municipal politics, but we're going to include it on this episode because I'd love to hear people's opinions. It has nothing to do with fucking government, nothing. Did you hear about this lady who's claiming to be Madeline McLean or McCain or whatever the fuck her no. name is? So Madeline, there's a, no. There's a little three-year-old girl that her family went to Portugal in 2007 and she was kidnapped. People thought she died. They killed her, whatever. And then it was on, it was on TikTok. So if you, if you, or your wife has TikTok, go on your wife's. There's a fucking account. This late, this lady, she's like, she thinks she's 21, but she says her parents could have lied to her. She has no memory of a childhood. Her parents, there's no picture of her mother being pregnant. There's no, um, and it was off something her grandmother, her grandparents said, her teachers said, oh, you didn't always, uh, uh, go to this school or whatever it makes it a very compelling argument that this adult lady could be the missing madeline mccain from all these years later very interesting i hadn't heard it i hadn't heard anything about it hey man honestly this is if it is her this is a good story this is a good ending at least she's still alive at least we don't have to think about people killing that three-year-old girl and that means to tie it back into municipal politics that means that good things can happen that means that when this new mayor is elected that good is possible it's not off the table it's possible Yes, the budget is passed for this year, but you got three more budgets before the before the next election, in which we can work to, if not defund the police, at least get the budget under control and take about four hundred million off of that and repurpose it elsewhere. The only reason it's ballooned, well, one of the reasons it's ballooned to what it is, is because you get every fucking officer clocking in overtime it's ridiculous that's one of the issues i would love i'd love to be a fly on the wall when whomever it is is deciding the police budget exactly what it entails uh, what are the fucking um uh, can we get a copy of it is that possible i guess we'll look into that i'm gonna leave that in your hands uh you see if you can get a even a mock copy of what the categories are. I'd love to do that. Because then maybe you and I, for fun, it could be like a game. We could be like, because you sit in a different aisle than I do politically, which is cool. And we respect that. So maybe as a game, it would be fun if you did a police budget and I did one. And then we compared it on the show, maybe at a later date. Okay, we could do that. That could be fun. And as well, Phil and I were talking earlier this week about doing a mock debate we're going to debate each other did we uh did we decide on what was what we were going to debate about for mayor oh right 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 <laughs> i'm you know what i'm a sleepy boy we're uh <laughs> we're coming up to uh yeah the the extravagantly late time of 9 30 p.m yes it's my bedtime too so if Phil doesn't have anything else with that, I bid you guys adieu, and we will see you guys next week on the Municipals. This is the Municipal. Have you been paying attention to like city stuff? 
Don't vote, can't bitch. Sorry to uh, to point that finger at you. My answer was that would be yes and no. My tummy hurts, and I'm mad at the government. You're saying council wouldn't approve it, and two, you're robbing them of their their voice. It's it's he's already he's already failed to uphold. Uh, 